0: Gracious Father God, by the power of your Spirit, please take the words of Psalm 19 and speak to our hearts, our minds, that we would see your glory and respond rightly to you. Help me to speak your word faithfully, with clarity, with boldness and love. In Jesus' name, Amen. From time to time, I hear this statement, I am not religious, but I am spiritual, Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that before. And on the one hand, I agree with the first part of this statement. If by religious you mean uh, institutional or ritualistic or legalistic, if by religious you mean uh, doing everything you can to try and impress God, well, I'm with you. I'm not particularly religious either. But I think it all depends on what you mean by spiritual I think spiritual means different things to different people. Spiritual could mean a non-material. It could mean supernatural. Spiritual could mean that which is beyond what we normally experience. Spiritual could mean believing in some sort of divine force or energy. Or spiritual could just mean having a personal relationship with God who does not have a body but is a spirit. So you see, the crucial question is, if there's a God, how has he revealed himself? And if he has revealed himself, then how should we respond to this God? So these are the two questions that we'll be addressing today as we look at Psalm 19. How has God revealed himself and how should we respond? You know, when you get to know someone, I think there's two ways you can actually get to know them. One is by observing them. Uh, We've got social media now, so you can actually stalk them before you meet them. And you could, in fact, learn lots about someone by talking to their friends and family well before they reveal anything to you. That's one method. Um, The other method is to wait for them to reveal themselves to you. Now, the first method doesn't work with God because he is so different to us by many magnitudes. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, he's ever-present because he's a spirit. He cannot be touched, he cannot be physically seen. We can't observe him to know what he's like. So God has to reveal himself to us, and he has. God has revealed himself to us in his works, verses 1 to 6, and in his words, verses 7 to 11. Well, firstly, God reveals himself to us in his works, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. The psalmist David says that creation reveals something of God to us. When we gaze at the night sky and we see the stars of a galaxy from a 1,000 years ago, that says something of the glory of God, his glorious power that created and still sustains the universe. As David says in verse 3, this is speech without words. In verse 4, their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, it is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. This nonverbal communication is a universal message, David says. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. Everyone on earth can witness the light of the sun and experience its warmth. As the sun rises and sets with ordered regularity, the sun, according to David, is like a bridegroom emerging in the morning, radiant from the bliss of his wedding home. And during the day, it sets its course like an athlete embarking on his race. God has set the sun to run its course each day, giving light and life to every person on earth. Nature reveals God's majesty to us. Christians call this natural revelation. Romans 1 verse 20. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Uh, The James Webb Telescope uh, cost $10 billion U.S. dollars. Get your head around that. It's taken more than 20 years to build, and it was just launched on Christmas Day last year. Uh, it's going to orbit the sun around 1.5 million miles from Earth. And in the scientific community, this is a pretty big thing, right? Because one of the major purposes of this telescope is to look back in time so we can understand more about the origin of the universe and we're expecting the first images from this telescope in a couple of months. Former astronaut Bill Nelson, the head of NASA in that video, gave a speech just after the launch, thanking the many members of his team, but he also quoted Psalm 19. He was pointing people to what he saw as the ultimate point of this endeavor, the handiwork of God as we peer back in time over 13 billion years ago, capturing the light from the very beginning of creation. God reveals himself through his works. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Friends, I wonder when was the last time you stopped to look up? What I want you to do after the service is go outside, and I just want you to stare at the sun for a couple of minutes. No, don't don't do that. But often we don't, do we? We don't look up. We're so caught up with what we do. But whenever we look up and see the sun and see the stars, that is God revealing himself to us. But it's not just looking up, is it? When... Uh, Three times now I've held each of my newborn children for the first time. I don't think, wow, Emma and I are so clever to make one of these. I'm in awe that God has made this little person in his image and he's entrusted me with them for a little while. Last year when I was trying to understand how the mRNA, COVID vaccines work, I was reminded once again of the incredible complexity and ordered regularity of every one of the trillion cells in our bodies. God is incredible and his works tell me so. But God's works are not the only way that God has revealed himself. For although everyone in the world can see the works of God, not everyone reaches the same conclusion. Instead of worshipping the God of creation, often people worship creation as God. Paul says in Romans 1, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. You see, we need not only the works of God, so God reveals himself in his words. Verse 7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are are reliable and altogether righteous. The eternal, all-powerful God speaks. His word is instruction and testimony, verse 7, precepts and commands, verse 8, fear and ordinances, verse 9. And for David's original hearers, all of these different words are used to describe the law of God, the law that God gave to his people through Moses. And when we think of the law, we normally think of it as as somewhat restricting of our freedom and stifling of our life. But here, David says that God's word is life-giving. God's word is trustworthy because God is consistent and reliable. God's word instructs us how to live life so that we might love God and love others. God's word gives wisdom so that we might have a healthy fear of God rather than live in foolish self-absorption. God's word brings joy and peace to the hearts of those who listen and obey. In fact, David says God's word is of the greatest worth. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is abundant reward. God's word is worth everything, and it's not just the law of the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. While creation is God's natural revelation, Christians call scripture special revelation. A special revelation includes God speaking directly to individuals, which he does. God can speak through his messengers like angels. God can use, and he still uses, dreams and visions to speak to us. But scripture, the Bible, his written word, is God's special revelation for all people in every culture, in every age. All parts of the Bible Are God's Word. Whether that's law or prophecy, whether that's poetry or songs, whether that's history or wisdom or gospels or epistles, every book of the Bible is God's Word where He reveals Himself to us so that we might know Him and be equipped to live life for Him. God's Word reveals His attributes, His majesty, His creativity, His power. God's word reveals his faithfulness in keeping promises, his compassion and mercy, his steadfast love for his people. God's word explains his works. Think of Genesis, how it explains God's process and purpose in creation. Think of Exodus, where uh, it describes God's power in saving Israel from slavery. And God's word, like our words, form the basis of relationship we need God's word if we are to know how to relate to him rightly now I want you to imagine what it would be like if God never spoke if there was complete silence from God if we were left entirely in the dark and you see that is effectively how most people live as though God never spoke as though reality was entirely up to us to determine? What if it was left up to us to determine what truth is and isn't? What the meaning and the purpose of life is? How incredibly confusing and messy and destructive life would be if God never spoke? And I suspect that some of you are feeling that messiness and the consequences of living as though God has never spoken. But the thing is, God has spoken. Life comes with the manufacturer's instruction manual. God has revealed how to live wisely in his word. God has things to say about how marriage and sex works. God has things about how you use your money. God has things to say about being parents and being children. God has things to say about anger and forgiveness. God has things to say about your worth. Are you listening to the God who speaks? Uh, This is a photo I took when I went to visit one of our missionary families when they were serving in West Africa, the Shorts. Uh, Every morning, Warwick would read the Bible with Ardo, a Fulani chief who left Islam and became a follower of Jesus. And there they are reading the Bible together at dawn. It was still dark outside, and there's the light lighting up uh, their Bibles and I thought of that verse from Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible and a psalm all about the goodness of God's law and it says there, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path and for Ardo, God's word really is a light and a lamp. It is more precious than anything to him. It has brought him hope and freedom, forgiveness and peace. Ardo has been threatened for his faith. The Muslim leaders have said to him that they will not bury his body if he continues to believe in Jesus, which is a great dishonor and shame for a Muslim. And Ardo told them, what what does it matter what you do with my body? For I will be with God. When you listen to God's word like Ardo, God's word is more precious than anything. Well, God reveals himself in works and uh, words. So, how should we respond to this God who reveals himself? We should turn and we should trust. Uh, When David writes about God's works in creation, you get this impression that David is humbled by the sheer difference in scale between he and between God. Take, for example, Psalm 8, where David says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? God is so much bigger than we are. Uh, We are tiny, we are so insignificant, and yet God is mindful of us. But here in Psalm 19, David uh, is conscious of yet another big difference between us and God. God is holy. He is without sin. And we are sinners. Uh, Verse 6, when he talks about the sun, he says, No one is hidden from its heat. And just like the sun, no one is hidden from the exposing purity of God's holiness. And therefore, our sin is a huge problem. That is why David's response to the God who reveals is all focused on the problem of sin. Because we are lawbreakers, aren't we? Verse 12. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults moreover keep your servant from willful sins do not let them rule me then i will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion we respond to god by turning away from our sin god's word is living and active it it cuts us to the heart it exposes our sin and the godly respond with humility David's response is that godly response. He knows that his sin is an offense to God. And he doesn't want to live as a rebel before his maker. So he asks for God's cleansing, for forgiveness for his, for his unintentional sins. He asks God to help spare him from his intentional sins. Cleanse me from my sins, David says. But how? How? How can we be cleansed from the guilt and the shame of our sin? David, who wrote this psalm, was described as the king after God's own heart. But even David knew the stain of his sin. David committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah killed in battle. Adultery and murder. And David was going to sweep this sin under the carpet. And then the prophet Nathan exposed David's heart. And then David wrote Psalm 51, where he cries out to God about his horrific sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. But how? How can David be cleansed from sin? Well, God has a final word to say, and it's not in Psalm 19. And here we stand in an even more privileged position than David, because David never knew God's final word, because God's final word is his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The God who spoke to David has spoken his final word by sending his son, Jesus. In John's gospel, Jesus says of himself, If you know me, you have seen my father and you know my father. God cannot reveal any more of himself than he has revealed In his son, Jesus. His son, the exact expression of his nature. The son through whom he made the universe. You know, when the the James Webb telescope is peering back in time to the origin of the universe, there are Jesus' fingerprints all over that. But let's come back to that question, how can we be cleansed? From our sins. Verse 3, after making purification for sins, Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of God. The death of God's son on the cross is how we are cleansed from our sin, our shame, our guilt. Even the forgiveness that David experienced from God was paid for by Christ's death on the cross. Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered for you and for me. And I I want you to just take a moment to grasp the magnitude of this. I want you to think of the tiniest insect that you can imagine. Maybe, uh, Maybe like an aphid. And the gulf between you and the tiniest insect is nothing compared to that between you and God, and yet God reveals himself to you through his son, Jesus Christ, his eternal son who made the universe, who then took on flesh and blood and bone, his son who was crucified on a cross where he bled and died so you could be washed clean for your sin. Uh, When was the last time you did anything for the insects? The gulf between you and God has been reduced to zero if you would trust in his son. That's the second response to God's revelation. If Christ is God's final word, then trust his final word. And in Psalm 19... David knows that God has done all the heavy lifting. His prayer reflects this. God must be the one who saves. Cleanse me, God. Keep me from sin, God. Do not let sin rule over me, God. You can trust this God. He's got it. Why? Because he is our rock, our redeemer. He is our sure foundation. When God reveals, he is always trustworthy, unlike us. We can depend on him for our security, but God is also our redeemer. When we are in grave trouble because of our sin, enslaved by our guilt, our shame, facing certain destruction, it is Christ alone who pays for our freedom from sin and death. We can depend on him for our redemption. Now, if you're listening to this today and you're on the fence, uh, maybe you're here because you're trying to figure out if there's a God and if he truly has revealed himself, let me let me tell you a story, true story about a guy called Guillaume Bignon, a Christian theologian, but formerly an atheist. And uh, he, he writes the story of his conversion. As a teenager, Guillaume rejected the Catholic belief of his parents, and as a young man, he lived life as a committed atheist, he says. He was pursuing his career, his sport, and women. And his his own words, he said he was leading a pretty happy life. And then in an attempt to persuade his girlfriend that God didn't exist, he decided to start an investigation. And I'm going to quote here from him. Uh, If any of this is true, then the God who exists presumably cares greatly about this project of mine. So I, I started to pray into the air, if there's a God, then here I am. I'm looking into this. Why don't you go ahead and reveal yourself to me? I'm open. I wasn't, but I figured that if God existed, that wouldn't stop him. I decided I'd go to a church to see what Christians do when they get together. I drove to an evangelical congregation in Paris, visiting as I would a zoo to see exotic animals that I had read about in books but had never seen in real life. I remember thinking that if any of my friends or family could see me in a church, I would die of shame. I don't remember a word from the sermon, and as soon as the service ended, I jumped up and hurried to the exit door, avoiding eye contact so I wouldn't have to introduce myself. I reached the back door, opened it, and literally had one foot out the door when a chilling blast went up from my stomach all the way to my throat. I heard myself saying, this is ridiculous. I have to figure this out. So I put my foot back in, closed the door, and went straight to the pastor. So, you believe in God? Yes, he said, smiling. So how does that work out, I asked. We can talk about it, he said. After most people left, we went to his office and spoke for hours. I bombarded him with questions and we met again over several weeks. He patiently and intelligently explained his worldview. And I nervously started to consider that all of it could be true. My unbelieving prayers shifted to, God, if you're real, then you need to make it clear so I can jump in and not make a fool of myself. I started to hope that, He would open the sky and send down the lights. At the same time I'd started my investigations, I had also come to commit a particularly sinister misdeed, even by atheistic standards. Though I knew exactly what I'd done, I'd shoved it down inside, but God brought it back to mind in full force, and I finally saw it for what it was. I was struck with an intense guilt, crippled with chest pain and disgusted at the thought of what I'd done and the lies I'd covered it with. I was lying in pain in my apartment near Paris when all of a sudden the penny dropped. That is why Jesus had to die. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf so that in him I might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5. He took upon himself the penalty that I deserve so that in God's justice my sins would be forgiven by grace as a gift rather than by righteous deeds or religious rituals. He died so that I may live. I placed my trust in Jesus and asked him to forgive me in the way scripture promised he would. I was passionate about studying my newfound faith in order to explain it to my friends and family. I read book after book, watched lecture after and debates, and loved every moment. Eventually, it was all I did in my free time, and I figured that if I was going to spend all my time and energy studying Christianity, I might as well get a degree out of it. So I applied for seminary and eventually obtained a master's in New Testament studies. That is how God reveals himself to an atheist. If like Guillaume, God is convicting you today, convicting you of your sin, as though his word was speaking directly to you, then you ought to listen. You ought to turn to him, turn away from sin, and trust in Jesus. Jesus. But, you know, if you're undecided, like uh, Guillaume was at the start of his journey, then you should persevere and not rest until you sort it out. And you might even pray, pray his prayer initially, show me if you're real. But for those of you who already trust in your Lord as rock and Redeemer, let me encourage you with this story. I spoke to Sundays ago of Ray Davidson, who recently died at 91. Trusting Christ, her Savior, I went to visit her husband, Harold, this week at the nursing home. Harold is another of my heroes. He's actually hoping to come and visit uh, sometime soon. He was so excited to see me, uh, to show me his new room, smaller than the one he shared with Ray, simple and modest. But Harold is content with it. He has everything he needs, he assured me. He was very happy with the view. He told me he was so thankful for the meals that they provided for him, so appreciative and, and respectful of the staff. And he knows that being in this home makes life easier for his family. And he showed me around the nursing home. He introduced me to a couple of the residents. And the staff I could see loved dealing with Harold. I wonder if he is so different from those who hate being there from those tormented by anger and bitterness who face death with fear and regret. I asked Harold if he missed Ray and he said, of course. Of course, I miss someone I've been married to for 66 years. Sometimes I wake up and think she's still here. But she's in a much better place now, he said. And Harold makes the most of his time to point the staff and the residents there and his family members towards the God he trusts. Recently on Mother's Day, he told me he took the opportunity to talk about Ray and to read Proverbs 31, the wife of noble character, to point others to the God who made Ray the woman she was. I told Harold I was preaching on Psalm 19 today and we read it together, we talked about it and he told me that verse 14 was one of his favorite verses and he has prayed it for much of his life. And when I left, I thought to myself, if you want to live well, like Harold, right to the very end, with purpose and with peace, with thankfulness, with other-centeredness, then you ought to make that your prayer too. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, we thank you that you have not left us in the darkness, for you have revealed yourself through your creation, and your creation speaks of the wonder, the glory, the majesty of you and your son Jesus. But we know that your works need your words, so we thank you that you are a God who speaks, who reveals. We thank you that your final word is your son, Jesus. That you've not held anything back. But when we see him, we see him reflecting your glory. We see him reflecting your love, your faithfulness, such that you would send him to die for us. Please, Father, help us to people who, to be people who turn from sin, who desperately trust in Jesus to live lives worthy of your gospel. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.